Well, good morning, and thank you for giving me this opportunity um, by your attendance <laughs> to be here and to hear what I believe the Lord has laid on my heart today. I'm, I'm very grateful when Pastor Jeff gave me this opportunity and um, uh, just consider it truly to be an honor and a privilege. And it's just been so wonderful this morning to see so many familiar faces and um, and, you know, in this time of COVID, when we've been so distant from people, it's always just good to be uh, with others as best as we can and in the safest ways that we can. And so uh, grateful for that. But this morning, I, I want to share, um, really, I guess, from my heart. And so this message is something that just rings true for, for me and, I think, uh, to who I am. And so that's the best place to speak from, I believe, is is from the heart and how God has been speaking to us. So if you would join me as I, as I read from John chapter 11 verses, I mean John chapter 10 verses 11 through 18. And I'm beginning a little bit later in this whole narrative about Jesus describing himself as the good shepherd here. And he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. Now, I have to tell you, I haven't had a lot of regular contact with sheep. I mean, it's kind of surprising. I grew up in farmland in northern Baltimore County, Maryland. And uh, aside from the occasional Future Farmers of America event and county fairs, I, I had no real appreciation for sheep, you know. Horses, cattle, pigs, chickens, ducks, they were kind of the standard fare at my grandparents' farm and uh, among others that were in the neighborhood, other farmers, that sheep was just not a big thing in that area. So most of my images of sheep have come from kind of biblical sources here. You know, we see this picture here, pictures in Bibles, uh, pictures that we get from Sunday school literature, uh, always associated with Jesus, the good shepherd. And what a beautiful and loving image that is. But perhaps you've seen some of images like these as well, you know, these images that have very strong scriptural context. And they were the kind of things that shaped how I thought about Jesus the Good Shepherd. They kind of filled in the experience gap, so to speak, with, the, with my lack of experience with real sheep. And sometimes these images are pristine. See here, very romantic, kind of pastoral perfect. And then if we go on and we see another one, it's kind of European or American, you know, uh, kind of Thomas Kincaid-like, right? Very romantic, you know, in that. 
And sometimes in these images, there's just rarely a, 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 a negative thought or feeling that, that comes from them. And that's, that's good, because we want to think of Jesus as, and how he embraces us, you know, uh, in those ways. I did run across a few that were interesting, because it wasn't Jesus just loving the pure white lamb. You know, Jesus uh, had, there were images with Jesus with spotted sheep, and with even a, a pitch black uh, sheep there. Um, but, you know, remarkably... There were few that portrayed anything else other than serenity. I appreciate that. But that's not often how life is, <laughs> isn't it? My favorite one, though, is really a nondescript etching here of Jesus closely hugging the lamb, face just buried in, into the lamb, and, and yet you see the nail prints in his hands, the evidence of his laying down his very life for that precious lamb, for, for you and for me. Now, eventually, I did have the opportunity to have a close-up experience with a little lamb when we went to Ireland for our 30th anniversary. And who can go to Ireland and not hold a lamb? I mean, you know, <laughs> it, was, it was just wonderful. Now, I'm not showing you these things so that you can have an arts lesson here, okay? Although I think they say a lot about Christian thought in the church and in our culture, in the context of these paintings. And there were even lots of images like this that are in some of the, the early artwork uh, that they've discovered in the early church. But I want to share them as a contrast to what is actually taking place in this passage. We overlay these romantic images onto scriptural texts sometimes just without even realizing it. And you know, that's, that's, I'm not saying that there's great harm done in that. I'm just saying that that's just what we sometimes do. Because the context here in which Jesus declares, I am the good shepherd, was hardly one in which there was this pastoral scene. Hardly one in which there was serenity. It was a situation that was laden with tension because if we look back, we can see that there was conflict to which he was speaking to as he talked about himself, who he was, and who his flock, the true kingdom of God, would be and what they would be like. He was in this conversation here trying to establish his place in the world and our place in the world, who we are to be, what we are to be like. He was drawing a very clear distinction between himself and the Pharisees. See, Jesus' declaration here is, is just a continuation of a confrontation that was happening back in chapter 9. If you want to take a look at that, you'll, you'll see that this is the story about where Jesus restores the sight of a blind man on the Sabbath, right? Against Jewish law. What, what are you doing working on the Sabbath? The man who is blind, receives his sight, but he also receives his spiritual sight in the process. But the Pharisees couldn't see that. They were applying great pressure, and they really were trying to destroy this formerly blind man and couldn't see the miracle that had happened. They even went after his parents, and it was just amazing. I mean, really, anyone who would have argued that the healing of a blind person was a good thing 
was a wonderful, wonderful thing. And yet the Pharisees couldn't see that. So the, the healing of the blind man really was challenging the Pharisees' religious and political authority. It was challenging their understanding of God, their understanding of sin, their understanding of the Sabbath. And while Jesus tells these very powerful opponents that even though they insist that they're able to see, they really are and remain spiritually blind. When the authorities cast the man out, Jesus is the one who finds him. Jesus is the one who receives him in as his own. This is his sheep. A sheep that has been discarded from, from Jewish and temple life because of his blindness and that being considered to be sinful. Someone who we might say is outside of the church, if you will. Yeah, I think Jesus was drawing a very clear line between the values of his flock and of his kingdom and what the religious leadership, the Pharisees, saw as their kind of fiefdom, their reign. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I'm, I'm not a hired hand. I'm not worried about what other religious leaders may be saying. You know, sometimes we all make affirmative statements about who we are. You know, people will do that. They, they kind of make a simple statement about what they like, something that describes themselves. And really, that's, that's all it is. It's just a statement to describe themselves. Things like, I can't leave anything on my desk when I leave the office. By the way, I never said that statement. <laughs> that's, that's not me. <laughs> or someone who says, I always like to have a plan. Well, I'm sure that's true for them. It's not always true for me either. You see, there, there are contexts in which the affirmative statement is not simply a message about the person, however. Sometimes the context defined who or what the other person is not. Because Jesus here is letting the Pharisees know who they are not. He's saying, I am the good shepherd, Pharisees. You aren't the shepherd. You, you don't own the sheep. You have not protected them. When danger or difficulty comes, you only protect yourself. I mean, you actually run away from it. You, you really don't care. You're really not loving them. Because the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. You know, I had taught a course in Christian tradition with a group of students, and we were talking about the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit, and we had finished the class a little early. We're talking about assignments and everything, and one of the young women, Rochelle, began to tell a story about something that happened a couple of days earlier. She had encountered a Muslim woman by the name of Sarah, who was her neighbor, and for whom she actually had provided daycare for. And this woman was sitting on her front porch steps, just sobbing. Her head down, and she was bruised in the face. 
Now, this was not the first time that Rochelle had seen this. She told me this was this time, however, the police had been called and intervened into domestic violence. But on the way of her husband being taken away from the scene, he said when he gets out of jail, he would come and kill her and take her children. And that she would then be taken out of the country and on the way, would be on the way back to Iran before she knew it. She was broken and terrified. Rochelle brought the woman into her home and for the next few days hired an additional daycare worker to care for her children upstairs while the woman pursued services that anyone who suffers from domestic violence should have access to. Rochelle gave, made sure she had protective shelter for her and her children. Now, Rochelle was exhausted from all of this. She, she relayed that. It was a lot. But, but she explained that the day before, something had happened to her. She had been at a restaurant with karaoke and dinner the day before, and she had gotten a fortune cookie that said, you are going to do something good for someone who really needs you. And then she looked at me and smiled. I said, you mean the Holy Spirit speaks through fortune cookies? <laughs> and she, the class laughed, and she, she did too, because she rec recognized that that was part of her calling. She cared. She loved. She took a risk. And in a sense, she was leaving, laying down her own life from someone who was being very threatening. This is how we care for sheep who are not of our pasture. You know, Jesus, the good, good shepherd, goes on to say, I, I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. I mean, no doubt, this too set the Pharisees really on edge. I mean, in their minds, Jesus was making this absurd claim, right? This blasphemous claim to know the Heavenly Father, and to even own that and to say, my Father, But he was telling them, hey, I'm deeply connected to God the Father. I have this intimate, knowing relationship with him. It's a, it's a relationship of love, a, a, a knowing. And here, I believe, is where he sends a very strong message about what the world is going to see in the good shepherd's flock, in the followers of Jesus. It will be a community of people who will live in this world and know that their place is to reflect the kind of relationship that Jesus had with his own father. Jesus is telling them, what you're going to see in the sheep of my flock and my community of people will be one who will have the closest of relationships with each other. There, there will be love. There will be mutuality. There will be a respect for one another. The good shepherd's flock will mirror the relationship he has with the Father. And the measure, the depth, and the width, and the breadth of that love is the good shepherd himself and the willingness that he had to lay down his life for the sheep. Paul declares this in another way. He says, For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor demons 
neither, neither the present nor the future nor any powers nor height nor depth nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's a powerful love. Back in 2015, it was the second running of the Boston Marathon after the terrorist bombing. I do hope you remember that. <laughs> and it was around that same time that the trial took place and the week, you know, and, and it ended the week before the race took place that day. Now, my wife, Diane, for those who know her, she's a social worker, she's a clinical um, therapist as, as well, and she worked with the group of people who provided clinical care to victims and survivors of, of that event. And, you know, they just do incredible work. But sometimes when I think about that event, I, what I also find remarkable is the extent to which people at that event and the first responders and how they put their lives on the line to save others. That's not love. I don't know what love is. The stories are traumatic and heart-wrenching and yet incredibly inspirational. You know, Boston... Strong. The community rallied in unbelievable ways. It was kind of humanity at its best. And around that time, there was a service honoring those who died and victims and survivors and uh, first responders, and it was held at South Church. It was an anniversary, and the people who attended were invited to write a message to share with others. And everyone put a message in the container, and later they drew one out. And Diane drew this. No more hurting people. Let's care for each other. So simple. Now here's a photo of eight-year-old bombing victim Martin Richard. You may remember he was from Dorchester, Mass. And he was killed while standing with his family at the finish line on that April 15th. Now, in this photo, Martin's is smiling at the camera, and he's holding a handmade poster with two little red hearts and, and the word peace and the peace sign, and it reads, no more hurting people, peace. Now, what's remarkable to me about all of these things is that he made that poster at school in response to the shooting of Trayvon Martin in Florida. Martin Richard's short life, and this poster has said some very simple but profound things. And I believe it is the same thing that Jesus was saying about his flock, about what our place needed to be in the world, who we are as his sheep and as his church, that our place in the world is to be a place where we say, Let's care for each other. And let's care for the world. Let's live out the same love that Jesus and the Father have for one another, and you and I can share in that as well. Now, I know the reality is, just like the reality Jesus was facing with the Pharisees and, and with trying to, when he healed this blind man, is that there is hurt that happens for all sorts of reasons in the church. 
Sometimes it's intended hurt, sometimes not. Sometimes it's personality, sometimes it's different ways of thinking. Certainly, we can look at these recent years and we could probably identify who knows how many different types of hurt or woundedness that you or I have felt we have experienced in the process. And I just want to tell you that sometimes it felt like there has been too much hurt and not enough loving. And we as a flock, we have to be conscious of that. We have, to, we have to work through that. We have to look to the good shepherd to, to not only be filled with his love and embraced in his embrace, but so that we can care for each other and for those around us. John Wesley said it like this. Got to get the Wesleyan thing in here, you know. Though we cannot think alike, may we not love alike I'm not saying that that's easy, but he's saying we, we can do this. May we not be of one heart, though we are not of one opinion? Without a doubt, we may. John Wesley was confident of the, in the love of God and that we could love each other and that this should be the reality of those who follow the Good Shepherd. And it is that very love that spills over and seeks to draw others into the fold. And as Jesus said, I have others that do not belong to this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. The good shepherd knew the Pharisees were very good at keeping people out. A little rule here, sprinkle of a guideline there different perspective, but unfortunately, very little grace, very little mercy, and lots of lines being drawn. Jesus was different in that regard because love and compassion, he is the good shepherd, love and compassion were his rule of the day. And that they were needed to reach out to the sheep that were outside the lines drawn by the religious circles. It was love and compassion of Jesus that transformed and healed the blind man in body and in spirit. It was love and compassion that could be spoken so loudly that those on the margins would know it was the voice of the good shepherd because they would recognize his voice. Cynthia is Cambodian. And she was one of the brightest preschool teachers that we had in our early childhood education program at ENC. But at the age of six, she was witness to the atrocities committed by the Khmer Rouge in what was known as the Cambodian genocide executed by the communists at that time. The Khmer Rouge policies of forced relocation of the population you know, from urban centers, there was torture, there was mass execution, there was forced labor, there was malnutrition that led to the deaths of an estimated 25% of that total population, around two million people. Cynthia was among those children who somehow survived and were relocated to the United States. God, was not in her vocabulary. God did not exist. God had no 
voice in her life. However, she found herself in a unique position. She was surrounded by Christian co-workers because she had been hired into this daycare run by a believer, and some of whom were also taking classes in the very same program. They were all doing this together. She was an excellent student, but found the intro to Bible course, you know, challenging and confusing. And she, but she commented on how kind and helpful and caring the instructors were to her. Her Christian friends were Catholics and Baptists and Pentecostals. Imagine that. And they would transport her to and from class and work on projects with her together. By the time I came to know her in this Christian tradition class, I discovered a person full of questions and gratitude at the same time. And in class, she was saturated in our discussions of Christian, Christian teaching and living. And, you know, it was a, a, there was a group project, and, and the, her project for her was to go to a church and just to see what it was like. Well, in the final class paper, this woman who was scarred by the most horrific of traumas, and who had no vocabulary for God, articulates with clarity an understanding of the key points of the Apostles' Creed. Believe me, it wasn't the teacher. <laughs> her teachers were her friends. And in her conclusion says, I have decided to become a Christian, I believe. Cynthia was an other sheep. She was of another pasture. She heard the voice of the good shepherd. But let me tell you where she heard it was through the steadfast love and compassion of the many other Christians from many different traditions that made evident the love and compassion of Jesus the good shepherd who was willing to lay down his life for her. And she heard his voice and entered into the fold. Life is not always serene and romantic, as we saw in those earlier pastoral images. And even though Jesus was using the most beautiful image of the shepherd as he spoke, he was speaking again into a conflict that was actually destroying his sheep and destroying the work of the kingdom. It was a prescribed way determined by religious leaders, not by Jesus, but they had many rules and lines and hoops or whatever you may call it that kept people out. Now, I, I currently work as a hospice chaplain, for which I am incredibly grateful. There are many reasons why I love this sacred work. You know, it's a privilege to be invited into people's lives at the end of their life. And I have discovered faith in the most unusual places, in the hearts of people who have been on the margins because they have never felt they fit or that they ever lived up to the image of a church goer. Or, honestly, they had just been hurt in ways that prevented them from returning. And truly, the list could go on, you know. And I have found that many of these sheep of other pastures have really poor theology, <laughs> you know. 
they've been scarred, and they've been scarred sometimes by religious people and systems. But somewhere in their heart, they still love Jesus the best way that they can. Let me tell you, it gets theologically messy. But I have to tell you, love and compassion is at the forefront of what I do. Because I truly believe love and compassion is at the forefront of everything that Jesus did and continues to do in our lives. Life certainly wasn't serene for the people that I mentioned this morning, for Sarah or for Martin, who was taken so quickly from this this world, or for Cynthia. But it is for them, and it is for you and me, that Jesus came to establish the kingdom of God, a, a, a flock, a community which speaks and lives out the goodness of, his, of who he is and bringing his love and compassion and redemption, sometimes to unexpected and dark places. We do not have an exclusive claim on who or how one comes to Jesus. That's what the Pharisees seem to to say that they did. They, They knew the lines, the boxes people fit in. Deciding who is in and who is out is not the business of the sheep. We are to simply be one flock with one good shepherd knowing a Jesus who loved us and willingly laid down his life for us in the most divine expression of love and compassion. And our place in this world is that we too, through acts of love and compassion, will care for one another and for those who are not of this sheep pen. I have a blessing that I want to share with you as I close this out, and this is my prayer, and, and you may have heard it before, but it has become one of my favorites, and it's a Franciscan blessing, and um, I would like to invite you all to stand and to share in this blessing. I know you may be hearing it for the first time, and so receive these, these words, and, and then I think that, you know, we have those who are going to bring our time to a close, but this is what I would want to say to you today. May God bless you with discomfort at easy answers and half-truths and superficial relationships so that you may live deep within your heart. May God bless you with anger at injustice, oppression, and exploitation of people so that you may work for justice, freedom, and peace. And may God bless you with tears to shed for those who suffer rejection, hunger, war, so that you may reach out your hand to comfort them and to turn their pain to joy. And may God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you can make a difference in the world so that you can do what others claim cannot be done to bring justice and kindness to all our children and our poor. Amen. The Lord bless you.